world and welcome back to Centered Subject. I'm Elena and Jenny's here with me as usual. We're so happy to be back in the ether, pontificating on all the important things in the world. So today um, we're going to be discussing the occult and also robots and a few other things along the way. Yeah. Probably. How is, uh, you're still in LA? Oh yeah, I am <laughs> yes, still in LA. Not for long. Soon in New York. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Next week, be next week. Next week we will do our first in-person IRL pod ever. Yeah, so excited. What will it be? How will it be different? I don't know. Will we be able to do it? Will we just lovingly stare into each other's eyes? I think we probably will. I think we'll be shocked into silence and we'll just, maybe there'll just be a great knowing between us and we can cut it. We can edit it out. So that's fine. <laughs> no, that's good. No, it'll be like a John Cage podcast where we just stare at each other and understand one another's thoughts and feelings and we don't have to speak. I think the audience will really like that. I do feel like that probably appeals to a segment of the audience and actually it's nicely segues into something that I wanted to share mm. with you. And the audience. Silence. <laughs> An extended <laughs> silence always in my soul. No, but um, speaking of John Cage and just that time period. So yesterday I went to a reading at Beyond Baroque, which is a kind of a literary center in Venice here in, um, in L.A. And the reading was by Tosh Berman. Uh, he was reading chapters from his memoirs about his father, Wallace Berman, who was kind of, oh, he was a painter, but also kind of a counterculture figure of note in, um, you know, 50s to, he died quite young in 1976 when he was on his 50th birthday, actually. Oh. But so he was, um, he was kind of a really important person in LA, kind of doing publications, painting, just kind of cultivating a salon. And so yesterday, the reading, had a really amazing audience. Well, first of all, like the, the space itself is really nice. Like it's sort of like, you know, very imbued with history, LA's history. Mm -hmm. And there's like these exhibits on like this little, um, you know, kind of like collage-like things of pictures like LA in the 60s, LA in the 70s, 80s. Oh. Um, and then, so the reading was attended by these people that clearly, you know, that knew Wallace Berman. Mm -hmm. And so it was older crowd. Um, I'd say they're in their like 60s and 70s, you know, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to see. I was there with my friend, Margaret, who is writing a book and one of the people that Tosh Berman mentions in, in the memoir, he read, he read a chapter that concerned her, um, this artist, Marjorie Cameron. But yeah, it was just really interesting to see. Because I could imagine, you know, so it was me and Margaret, which is sort of, you know, bohemian, vaguely artist, and another another friend. And then most of the other people were quite a bit older, but, you know, also sort of like in this friend kind of arrangement. Mm -hmm. And some had these, they were dressed sort of in the way that was kind of reminiscent maybe on the of the 70s, you know, like turtlenecks. Mm. So sort of like, you know, when someone arrives at at their style um, right. at a certain time, maybe like early 30s or something, and they just kind of like vaguely interpret it. Anyway, yeah. but it was just interesting to see that, you know, to see how people how people are, how maybe we will be, um, you mm -hmm. know, I don't know, in like 30, 35 sure. years, whatever, 40 years. It was really interesting. And the, oh, the reading was actually really... So, yeah, it just it felt like a, a travel in time of some sort. And it was really cool. What did they say in the reading? They were just like talking about his life or? Yeah, he was talking about, you know, growing up in Los Angeles in, in this kind of circle of LA 
beatniks and you know it was just uh, he's, he read chapters about people um, that are maybe well, more well known well, a couple of people like Dennis Hopper was really sort of a, a good yeah. friend and of his dad's and what I really liked is the chapter about Marjorie Cameron so she was a really interesting character she was married to Jack Parsons um, who was mm-hmm. one of the founders of the JPL the Jet Propulsion Laboratory which is a part of like an, an extension of NASA in Southern California yeah. so he was a rocket scientist but he was also intensely occultist and um mm. he was sweet yeah and he was like part of the church of Stelema, i think and mm. basically and you know he was friends with like l ron hubbard so it was like this group of people that are sort of you know scientific but also esoteric right and so she was married to this to jack and he blew himself up and she sort of um he was like producing explosives for films and this mm. one experiment went wrong but she went wow. on to become this um, kind of cult witch wow. of LA and she was in um, Kenneth Anger's film um, oh wow that Babylon that's a pretty good credit in my book <laughs> oh she has so many interesting credits yeah um, anyway she's just she's really fascinating and so my friend Margaret who I was um, attending the reading with uh, Margaret Haynes she's writing a biography so um, everyone should keep an eye out for the book coming forth cool yeah in 2020 that reminds me a lot of when of the feeling for me when like I went to the um, Edgar Casey Center recently that I kind of talked about a couple times. Yeah, but it's just this thing of thinking about or kind of playing with the occult, like watching anger films or looking at um, you know biographies or going to museums about the '60s and '70s occult and thinking about what people were doing and in a really conceptual way, and then walking into their spaces and mm. you know going into the library, basically an occultist library there, and looking into the eyes of the lady sitting there, you know, who's just a librarian sitting at this normal, you know, it's just a bunch of stacks of books, but Mm. they were all about, you know, I don't know, LSD and, and psychotherapy and, um, traveling through your past lives. And it had, you know, Edgar Cayce's whole, whole library of what I think it's called a reading I don't know if it's called a reading or a telling well it's like he would be asleep he would be half asleep and then he would say things and then they became this like crazy tome of his wisdom and they used it as like literature and so they just had they kept all that was like the point of this library Yeah. yeah they really believe it it's not it's not like there's no joke to it and I felt I was on this funny line when I went there and I might be feeling the same way if I went to that talk because where it's like, how real is this? How strange is this? How much irony is appropriate in this situation? And I felt like this funny thing of engaging with people in real life where I was just like, no irony is appropriate because this is a person and this is, this is a real place. And this is, um, this is what people do here. And I don't know, it was, it was cool and interesting, but also a little bit like, wow, if I lose my irony completely, I guess I have to live here. <laughs> I guess I have to join these people or become a cultist or something. Oh, no. Uh, no. It was a little bit of like all or, all or nothing thinking for me, but yeah, it was, yeah, it's the phase of like learning about people for real, learning about this history personally. And I, I think I'm into it, but yeah, there's an intimacy with it that I'm curious about. Like I get, if it gets too close, what's it mean? 
you know. Yeah, I just think it's interesting how their cult and space travel coexisted personally. I know, that's really fun. I think that's really exciting. And also it's interesting how um, how Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, if, if someone doesn't know, but apparently they also defrauded uh, Parsons, Marjorie's husband of his life savings. Jesus. <laughs> just a, like they, it just gets, it just sort of gets stranger and stranger. And when you yeah. imagine it, it's sort of set in this kind of McCarthy era of LA, you know, which is also kind of very bureaucratic and drab and the Cold War going on and right. this gray suits pointing atomic weapons at each other. And then there's, it's just it's a really like exciting space of history well yeah and like the occult and the early you know the the kind of trippier sides of new age thinking they were all really closely identified with science like they're the scientologists could use scientific speech and like do their little theater. well that's why i mean that's how i mean you can see it like it's scientists that worked on the rockets also were working yeah. on developing this um religion so yeah i mean that's a they thought it was totally fine i guess i suppose that's a good way of starting a religion when you give it a kind of factual almost right. near or factual sounding basis yeah and then in the edgar casey work um, parapsychology was a, was you know an accredited thing that was going on at Columbia during the, this like time in the sixties and seventies, which is why there was that scene in the beginning. And what is that? Do you want to explain it? In Ghostbusters, have you seen Ghost? In the beginning of Ghostbusters, the um, the Bill Murray character is is like in this lab in Columbia, and he is doing these studies where he'll like show someone a card and it'll have a shape on the side towards the scientist and the person, the subject is going to like look at the card and try to guess what's on the other side. And then the parapsychologist will like send the shape, you know, through ESP to the person. And if they can get enough of the same, then that proved scientifically in like a controlled study to be psychic. Mm. So there were oh, departments see. like connected to the psychology departments in a lot of schools. Not anymore. I do. Feel, I feel like it'll just be coming back though with the with the current climate of being excited about magic. And oh, it might. I think it will just return. I know. You be the chairs of the new new medievalist departments. Yes, so the, the new some university will propose. They will. Yeah, we'll keep like a little bit of irony so people don't think that we're you know totally full of it. But <laughs> I don't know. I feel quite troubled by the whole thing, but I know I feel like it's likelier. It's likelier for that to happen than to have, you know, universal um, health care. You know, so that's just that's that just mm. shows the gravity of our situation. Honestly, where that honestly right. just seems somehow likelier. Um, you know, a part psychology department, I can imagine with greater ease than actual kind of, you know, free for all access. Yeah, the uh, Paltrow Department of Parapsychology. Not to hate on you, Gwyneth, but I'm sorry, I have to hate on you. Oh, of course. <laughs> Please hate on her. I'll, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm filled with hate. She's an I idiot. Kinda, I kind of feel bad for her in a way. Why? Like, she's a, she's a rampant, know. like, idiot. I mean, she's not an idiot. She's a businesswoman, but she's like a, a vicious capitalist that capitalizes on, on like, I don't know, ignorance and idiocy and like why. Right. And the wellness, like. She should know better. The wellness. Wellness joke. Scam. Well, maybe because, you know, I kind of feel like there's something about, I guess I'm being feminist about it, but maybe it's problematic. It's like there wasn't a whole lot of hate for, you know, the Coca-Cola guys personally by name, but there's a lot of hate for her because she's a woman and she should know better, but maybe she shouldn't. And like, I kind of am into the idea of, of a bunch of women 
being really fucking problematic and we don't let them get away with it necessarily, but the whole like you should know better thing isn't part of it, you know, especially with wellness or something. It's like, no, you're an asshole. And I think anyone that lives, you know, in our day and age can benefit from scientific inquiry on some level yeah. and know better. I mean, I would say that too. <laughs> I mean, she just enjoys a, a you know a great a great celebrity that stems from her acting career, so she's more visible. Yeah, I don't know, and I think those questions of feminism are, you know, there's a, a really a great distinction between the sort of um, affluent bourgeois feminism and you know like true working class. Um, and I don't know, they're not compatible. Sure, absolutely. So like, yeah, she uses her privilege as like her like white fancy lady privilege to kind of try to create more culture like her and try to support the culture that she's part of without. And her, I, I mean, yeah, the fact that her stuff is so fucking expensive and so crazy kind of leads to more elitism and kind of super problematic, like a super problematic cul-de-sac, cul-de-sac of elitism and weirdness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she's going to fund the parapsychology department at um yeah, at University of California or something. Yeah. yeah. Where they're going to advise um rubbing crystals on yourself if you're like having high blood pressure. Yeah, or putting putting like a a mirror under your elbow. Uh, yeah. When you're feeling um unclear about your life. That might work. Okay, mm-hmm. what else are we going to talk about today? I mean, we have some disturbing things that just flew into our news boxes, our various news boxes. Yeah, yeah. from the technology desk, um, I saw some news about the uh, $1 billion in a single Bitcoin being transacted, and I became alarmed at what the fuck is going on with the way the condensation of coins <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know i just that made me so tired when i found out about that and um yeah and what is you know just something about the deep inequality that's happening and how that's just turned into one imaginary coin mm, yeah I know it's disorienting when you also kind of imagine a coin, you know, like a, a block of gold seems so much more reassuring, you know, but then it's just the vague Bitcoin that like crystallized out of algorithms and, you know, appeared and, and moved. I imagine yeah. sort of like crystalline legs swiftly. <laughs> just standing in one place <laughs> and, like, and then another and just place. Kind of like, because so many legs, you know, it's just like very quickly flips over and it's like, bam on the other continent yeah it's space-like really i'm imagining a sure. sort of spaceship i'm in the space i'm in space today somehow i know i, I like post, it it is post parsons you know it's how space robots would use currency like this is like it's just become two space robot cryptocurrency exchange based in singapore yeah. yeah and then just like how they're worth more and more um inflation space space alien currency i don't know well that's yeah that's disturbing they're going to mine the moon do you know anybody who owns bitcoins i do i do you do mm-hmm. do they use them as currency and have wealth um they chanced upon them um when in the beginning of their journey and so so far they're holding on to them i think there's a certain bitterness um because <laughs> there was that height of value a couple of years mm-hmm. ago but so far, I think um, this friend of mine hadn't done anything with it. <laughs> um, they're points. just sort of hanging around. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, they fluctuate in value. Right. 
And there was that like that that great peak couple, um, which was I forget, but it was a lot. Yeah, it was like you could buy a house for a few or something like that. Right. Yeah, that's the part that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why are people using these if they're so prone to fluctuation? I'm gonna need I'm gonna need somebody to. Like, I wouldn't, yeah, I'm not gonna wander in there and not really coherently understanding. I mean, I, I mean, it's all symbolic, sort of. You know, calling this currency right. currency usually is, but I'm not entirely yeah. sure how it's. Um, how it's substantiated. Yeah, the the deep economics uh, episode is probably a few a few months out, I'll say. Yeah, we're going to find the right... The, yeah, who are they? Please come and help us out. Explain the our, Bitcoin. I want one. I want one Bitcoin. Is that okay? Is that, like, how much work would it take? Sure, you can want anything you want. No. Can I afford it? Only you can decide. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you can afford one if you try okay. it. Yeah. I'm going to try to get one. You have to just focus on it. If, try to um, manifest, manifest it? it. Yes. Try to like okay. do a ritual, a Bitcoin ritual, and then right. maybe you'll get lucky. Maybe like try to look up Marjorie Cameron, like try to channel Cameron and see, you know, what she would do in your dreams. I feel a rose would be involved. Okay, great. Yeah. Some okay. blood. Some blood, yeah. Okay. Blood and email. Maybe print an email out. And bleed okay. on it after poking yourself with the rose. Cool. All right. And then um, set my intention uh, slightly above my head uh, where I'll imagine a coin, like in Mario Brothers, like a coin just appears above my hand. Thring! You know, that'll be my intention. Right. And yeah. then I just picture it hovering there above my head until it finally I find my way to one, possibly. Mm, yeah, I think you do have to burn something at the end, but maybe not above your head because then your hair will get caught on fire and mm. that's going to be too yeah. tragic. You, you'll end up like Jack Parsons. It's true. I'll explode. Um, I have to say, I am taking a spirituality class that I don't mind talking about because I find it really weird in my social work education. And one of the things that you're supposed to do in the one of the lessons, one of the like teachings that our teacher is teaching us is create an intention and be aware of your intention. And um, he talks about how that there is a, a pyramid or a shape oh, no. that you can focus. He really does. Where the you can focus on be it. illegal. <laughs> he focus where you're supposed to focus on it. Your spirit exists. So you said you're supposed to fuck it. <laughs> Fuck a pyramid fuck right above pyramid. your head. Oh Sounds cool. I don't Virgil know how I would class. do that. No, I don't know either. Awful. Okay, sorry. Uh, well, whatever. I mean, you know, I, anybody can. You can do anything you want. Um, no, but that's like where your intention is. Your your uh, your pyramid of intentions. So I. It's kind of cool if you think about like what you want and you try to imagine something that you're interested. Not like financial wealth or bitcoins, but like what you really want in life and you try to figure out where you feel that in your body. It's very trippy, I will admit. But like where do you feel what you want? Do you feel it in your heart? Do you feel it in your in your head? And his whole theory is that different types of things that you want are in different types of your body. So like he has this thing with the with this like shape right above your head and that's where your spirit wants. That's where your, mm. your intentions live. Or maybe it's a drone. It's dubious. <laughs> you can, yeah, maybe your wants could be a, a drone could show up or you could create a drone and send it out. <laughs> I think, yeah, I just, yeah, I, th I think I'm still in this sort of spiritu spirituality versus technology overlap today. And how, like a yeah. lot of these magical things, yeah, they're kind of, you can, you can also just have them appear in the physical world. Yeah. Send it out. Yeah. Robots. Robots were created with the intention of the human. 
So. Right, right. But did you hear, um, there was this article I saw today about the murder robots, um, the, the mass mm. destruction. So I guess Google had a project to develop autonomous weapons, um, quote unquote, killer robots. Mm. Uh, and so one of the researchers that was working on the project pulled out um, Laura Nolan. Um, so she resigned for ethical reasons because essentially what they wanted is to have these AI machines, you know, that wouldn't be relying on humans kind of parsing the information, but rather mm. it would give the robot um, the power to interpret and to act. So she said that it can, um, there's so many ways in which it can go wrong, you know, weather conditions, anything, and it would cause essentially mass atrocities, like mass murders, you know, because it would be like this crazy wow. flying weapon that would just deploy itself, you know, it could sort of make wow. a decision. And I mean, I mean, it's like a weapon of mass destruction. So it can totally annihilate like masses of people. Isn't it scary? Jeez. I think it was paused now, but so it would just not be guided by human remote control. It's like they would just make decisions, you know, they would like program them to make decisions. I think that was the idea, you know, that they, I'm not sure how it would work in practice. Like, would they be like, okay, you're supposed to survey like this area, you know, you program it to like fly over a certain, you know, landscape like twice a day or something and then if something moves or you know they detect warmth and it's a certain shape or speed then they kind of drop it it's like a conscious drone right but it's the basic essentially which which is what's done now i think with these um uh, weapons you know how people some contractors they just go home after work you know they go to like an office building and they kind of like do a video game simulate Mm. you know they work at a simulator and then but so that person would be would not be involved. It would just be the drone itself. It's scary. It's really scary. It's so confident. There's so much like unnecessary hubristic. There's so much trust in technology. It's frightening. I agree. And so much like trust that mm. your decision is correct. It's like, I mean, I, I mean, all war always has that thing where it's like, you know, uh, well, the what's on the table here is murder, and you have to just be sure that you're not going to be murdering the wrong person. But yeah, putting that technology. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's completely circumvents the legal system, which I mean, I'm obviously like against the capital punishment anyway. But it's just completely just upturns everything, like just all kind of culture and history and judicial history human development civilization like just insane and devalues life completely it's like yeah i mean and that's why we need to have laws and like you know the warsaw warsaw conventions and things you know in in place for weapons like that where it's interesting like we will why is it that we so strongly need to create we love creating tech we had this whole discussion my friends and I about Mm. flip phones last night it was like and then like I'm trying to collect if anybody that I know out there is listening and you have a flip phone and I don't know about it please let me know I'm taking Mm. a cultural survey of the flip phone user um because there are like I know a couple people who use them and are very conscious that they're using them because they don't like the way their psychology and their social lives are affected by smartphones yeah you have to do it for work in a way you know sometimes you're in this weird group text or something you have to send images whatever yeah Yeah. but there's this thing and I think that maybe it's related where we tend to adopt technology because it exists and because it exists so quickly and to to fill a need but we don't reflect upon you know what it means until it's done a lot of damage um yeah we just kind of take it up and And take it into our kind of optimistic yeah optimism about it you're like oh this is exciting it will solve you said look at the all the kind of ease that it would provide and not the right 
And our brains are are directed by novelty. There, there's actually a lot of studies that have been done that, like, if something is new and exciting, it it releases dopamine, which makes us think it's it's good and it's interesting. It makes us want more of yeah. it. Like, we're very simple I love animals. You. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's really difficult to turn away. And we were having this discussion where it's kind of like. Why is it that every single person has it now? Be, you know, it's because the culture develops to make excuses and to find new uses for it, which is like a good adaptation, but can be so strange because then we become controlled by that new technology. When uh, we were doing work, uh, we liked that, that book about haunted technology, and there was a lot in that book about the invention of the telephone and the mm-hmm. same, and like the early fax machine, and the same exact thing happened. Yeah. Like there was no going back. Like it completely transformed culture. And yeah, I'm curious about that of like, why are we constantly dominate? Do we have any free will? My friend said that like she doesn't, she has decided to use a flip phone because she has problems with her own free will when she's using uh, her phone. Like she wonders if she has free will anymore. So she's just decided not to use the flip phone because, I mean, not to use the smartphone because she doesn't want to worry about that. Right. But yeah. I mean, I think a lot of our behaviors are not rooted in free will, but in habit anyhow, which mm-hmm. is arguably, I mean, I guess it's your own free will that you conditioned yourself to. I'm not sure. But yeah, I can see your point. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've certainly hidden my phone away for perhaps a day at a time just to to not yeah. hover over it. Yeah. Thankfully, my phone dies quite a lot. Um, well, this so is a natural I- break. Very good. Yeah, I luckily I'm not very good at upkeeping nor have enough money to upkeep my technology at all times. So yeah. it's like, it's a good check and balance, I think. But what is very interesting is the level of anxiety and like displacement that exists when the phone is not available. I think that's a very yeah. interesting to like check in on yourself when it's like, oh, the phone's dead. What do I do? How do I live? Like that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I remember, yeah, my phone died and I was walking with a bunch of friends and, you know, somebody looked at their phone and then even though I knew that mine was not responsive, they sort of like took it out of my pocket and looked at it, <laughs> looked at it dead, <laughs> put it away. <laughs> she just had a just like, hug. I just kind of, yeah, I just sort of repeated the gesture. It was like smoking, <laughs> which I stopped doing, by the way, um, in case anyone was worrying Good. about my health. Well, um, I felt bad that I was supporting you. I was, I was a little <laughs> bit too enabling well, I don't know. I think also living in LA, you, I mean, the air is already so awful. You know, it's just like one, one tar more, one tar less. It doesn't really no. matter. No, no, dude. <laughs> no tar, okay, tar in your lung. Your lung is a beautiful thing. It needs. No, but there's just. I mean, the air is so awful here. There's air, and apparently there's five G, which I didn't know about. But this is. I'm not sure if it's an urban fear, like urban myth. But you know, five G towers are. Um, being erected everywhere for this kind of for the speedier internet and i saw yesterday um you know these th- th- there's these messages out and about you know demanding that we uh, refuse the 5g mm. towers because um i guess they're harmful to the health harmful to the because oh, of the, the like the body is it like a microwave or something like that i'm not sure right. but i haven't had a chance to look it up 
I mean, in general, there are lots of fears about kind of wirelessness and and radio waves, but and the internet, the internet pulsing through our bodies. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. I don't really believe it. I think we're already like inhaled and ingested so much that we're like not quite human anyway at this point. We've outsourced like so much of our consciousness and our minds. <laughs> yeah, to the- and while also imbibing and ingesting all these substances and things and inhaling them, so I feel like yeah. we're just like. By a by a robot. So you're giving becoming, up. You're just gonna go vape and I'm just and, becoming a pixel slowly. You're just gonna pixelate. Okay, that's that makes me sad. I mean, like I kind of wanted to be a Mario brother a little while ago, so that I guess I'm with you sometimes. Aww. But I do love the idea of me having a flip phone and like getting good at reading maps. Come on, like that's nice. Yeah. What if I had a flip phone and I like lived in the medieval and knew how to have like made my own dress you know like i spun it i mean i make dresses sometimes i buy the fabric but yeah i mean you can you can do that i guess i I mean time goes by slower and you feel less rushed yeah but you also make a conscious i mean there are people that live like that you know there are people that make that decision to you know they take the flip phone further and they wear bonnets from like 18th century and only yeah they're mostly Amish I mean no I mean there are people that do it out of sort of cultural choice though you know there's the Amish people but then there are also people that are just like I just prefer the 19th century Edwardian or like Edwardian fashion and that's just how I will be and I prefer that you know that sort of style of home design and people really go out sometimes to kind of create an atmosphere of Right. Another time and place. It's pretty cool. I'm not, it's interesting though. I don't know that I'm. But you're so at odds with everything that's around you. It's almost like you're in a play. You look cool. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's, I mean, it's a choice and in that it's sure. Well, I don't, I don't know that I want to like do, do. It's uh, so stylized. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like doing a play. It's like doing, um, uh, I want to say generational or decade drag. Like you're kind of performing a different self um a different time self it's so affected like i don't i don't that's not really what i'm looking for i'm looking for some sort of intimacy Mm. um with life and understanding of it like i was talking about before um i don't know i think it's harder to come by i think that has to do with like urbanism and living in a big city versus a small city right it's just hard to come by that intimacy when everything is so spread out I think I think really all I need is a garden and all I need is like some sort of I do need access to some sort of summer home at some point in my life I think probably you know and like solitude but I I, yeah I don't think I need to be wearing a little top hat and like tails and shit like (laughs) or making actually actually making candles I'm not so sure but um yeah I don't know simplicity I'm going to keep working on it. I'll report. Yeah, well, in Belarus, I mean, in general, kind of in, the, in Eastern Europe, people often have dachas, you know, which is like a summer um, a summer mm-hmm. home uh, beyond the line of the city. And people mm-hmm. have gardens there and they go there every summer. It's quite yeah. a chore for younger people. Often, like, people get older and they become obsessed with this, um, mm-hmm. you know, tilling the land and growing their own tomatoes. And the young people yeah. just want to party. But their right. parents force them. 
Oh, right. Sweet. Go get the strawberries. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit. It's like a whole problem. Yeah. Go get. Yeah. Go get the strawberry. But everyone has that. It's just like it's a tradition. Yeah. So I don't know why people don't have that here. I mean, people could they easily rich, have that here. Rich, rich people have it here. No, but you don't have to be rich. That's the thing. I think a lot of people are just not rich. You know, it could be just like a little, mm. like one one room house where you just have a couple of beds and there's a toilet right. outside. You well, know? that. I mean, my family likes to go. They like to go to the beach um, in the summertime, but. I always want to go to the beach and not have AC and and be very simple and have this very small house. But my family likes to kind of have a fancier time because my mom is really into hotel rooms and like nice, nicer. She wants to go somewhere nicer than her house. So, yeah, I guess I I don't know. I don't know what my deal is, but. I want to I want to go and have uh, less technology in my vacation and more nature and she wants to have comfort right so mm. yeah I should go to Russia and get a get Well a you can come visit us my mom has a my mom has a little um shack and like a big garden that she goes and tends to um be you know it's like a little dacha Yeah I didn't know she has a little garden I would love to see her doing that that would be It's a big garden it's a small house cool. Well I've invited myself over Yeah, come by. I have two updates from our previous pods, if our listeners have heard previous issues. Number one, this whole Sharpie thing, I don't want to talk about it anymore, but like we called uh, Trump's crazy Sharpie behavior way early. Oh, right. And he did his thing where he drew um, and just made his Sharpie behavior, his like bombastic Sharpie use became a thing. And I just feel really proud that we noticed it earlier. And um, yeah, mm. because of our journalism. Um, yeah, I felt I felt like that was the kind of news that we picked up on. <laughs> That's apparently where we live is talking about mm. how Trump uses Sharpie. Yep. And then another thing is that there are canceling the area 51 festival where they were all gonna like attack air area 50 on the medievalism episode we talked about that a little bit so the Mm -hmm. peasant riot is like dramatically being called off because apparently the guy who tried to start it was joking and he's a college student (laughs) Mm. but they were actually gonna have a festival expecting thousands of people so from uh his college dorm room he was planning this giant festival for people to storm Area 51 and like uh, arranging all the porta potties and the food and like bands to play and stuff mm. and negotiating with people on the ground. And apparently he got too freaked out by everything and like couldn't figure it out. So he canceled it. And everyone around area, like the local businesses around Area 51, are really, some of them are really pissed off because they were really excited about all the business of the, the hordes yeah. of humans coming. Yeah. They probably like purchased all these alien accoutrements, like little little things that they could sell. You know, like here are some alien ears and oh, so alien many. goggles. Yeah, yeah. All the merch yeah. has to go back. All the merch has to go back. But I just love, and he, the guy said he didn't want it to be another fire festival, which I thought was kind of nice of him to realize. And, and like they were, were they were actually saying like it might be a humanitarian crisis. Yeah, it's so bizarre when there are people actually suffering from humanitarian crisis, and like other people are engineering it. You know, because yeah. they're so bored. Right. Or like, I mean, really the technology itself or the fact like we were talking about, like people are just so passionate and they want to make change and but their values are very strange. So they 
were, you know, they wanted to know where the aliens really were and they were mad at the government. And that's like what people were going to protest in that moment. Mm. So, yeah, I'd like to make the plug that people, you know, get involved in climate protests instead of, you know, Area 51 protests. But that's what people were passionate about. I keep having these like really authoritarian visions um, where I'm like, how can how can people connect to each other more? How can we like really embrace our collectivity? And then I was just imagining that like at a certain hour of the day, everyone has to come outside and form a circle, like holding each other's hands. Um, and there has to be like 20 people in a circle. So cool. like wherever you are, you have to go outside and like, grab someone's hand and then you, you form like a little circular chain i think it's fine but then i guess maybe you should you should do something else and maybe you like say you speak oh yeah then you play telephone game basically yeah oh, <laughs> i think you need to make a list of these this okay. is this is good this is a zine is what this is oh maybe yeah instructions instructions for more communal humanity <laughs> yeah great game. Collectivism games. (laughs) It's true, but I think all the game, all games, actually, all physical um, play games, right? They kind of encouraged collectivism. Actually, that's why I think that's one of the reasons why we're sort of breaking down. Um, I'm I'm talking to a friend who's really she has um, two young children, and she's really involved in um, um, kind of um, playscape design. She's really interested Mm -hmm. in that. She's an editor, but she's sort of thinking of switching careers. And um, but she was just telling me about how like contemporary children have no access to sort of this physical place. I mean, especially in America, you know, where they really get, mm-hmm. or America, I don't know, New York, maybe it's different, but I think people can sometimes walk to places, but I think in LA they just get sort of shuttled to these, um, right. you know, kind of arbitrary, abstract bunch of shapes and thrown yeah. in together. But anyway, the idea being is that since we don't have the sense of place and we don't really make, we don't really negotiate, like, Basically, in the play theory that she espouses, it's encouraged to just, rather than having these pre-built things that, you know, kids would play with, you just want to give them, like, cardboard boxes, like, fabric and things like that. And then they kind of, like, negotiate these objects, they, like, build things together, and they kind of create a kind of communal um, community, and they learn negotiation and dealing with each other. I love it. So, I feel like that applies, that continues applying, I think, to humans... And maybe that sort of connects to what you were saying about, you know, making your own dress and like weaving and all that. Yeah. Right? Because when you take out these tasks, that's like what what is life filled with then, right? When you don't have to, when mm-hmm. everything is ready and you can just order it. I saw this big billboard today. Um, it said Amazon. Now, no, Los Angeles. Now, same day delivery <laughs> from Amazon. And I just find that so scary. Mm. You know, like just whatever mm. little weight you people had left. I think it was like two, three days or something. You know, like that's not even. No. Just the, the like approximation to the, like the immediacy of human desire is right. so scary. Because if you you have no patience left, like you don't practice it, like what what's going to happen to us? Right. And, and it's something about that technology thing too, where it's like, oh, look, we can deliver it in one day because of all of the fucked up things that yeah. like Bezos has put in, put in place, you know, with labor, but Hey, we can, this is a possibility. So therefore it becomes an inevitability. It like play, it changes the whole field going forward of our expectations, kind of like with, you know, a new technology, it's like a new, capitalism that is so fast that it makes mm-hmm. our expectations faster and so you can consider it or think reflect upon it because everything is moving so fast right exactly yeah i mean i i have decided you know many times not to not to use that and it's 
makes life harder here and kind of does feel like this going against the grain thing. But I mean, what one an interesting thing just for me in my life recently has been, I think, I don't know where it came from, maybe from working in therapy stuff, but it's like, I'm noticing in my body when I feel gross about something I did, mm. you know, like, oh, it's like sort of a shame. If it's yeah, that there are, there is a physiological system in place in your body, uh, neurobiologically where you feel you to your behavior. Yeah. It's your conscience and it's in your body and it does stuff. And I'm more attuned just for my own kind of practice to, to be aware of my body. And so like, if I'll order something from Amazon, I feel gross. And so what I now have is this feeling like I don't have denial as much anymore. I do sometimes because I'm a person, but so I'll like, I'm negotiating with the ease of it and the, and the disgust that I feel in my body, which is like just as strong. And the more I go on with it, the more it's like intolerable. So I feel happier doing the lugging the thing around you know, than I do, than I do living with the, the physiological discomfort. Mm-hmm. Encourage others to do this practice if you're feeling guilty. Cause it's like, yeah, you get, you do It's yeah. I've talked about it before. It's like clockwork orange now sometimes. And you can't, you literally can't do stuff that you don't want to do because it gets grossed out of you. Mm-hmm. But it's hard because our lives are kind of formulated by it. And we're asked to, you know, we're asked to compete with others who have things delivered to them overnight or whatever. And Yeah. I actually also noticed something this day um, when Margaret and I were going back from Beyond Baroque. Um, we stopped to get some water at 7-Eleven. And I guess I've also stopped by another store like the day before. And I noticed that this is a new, have you noticed this is a new thing, I think. Mm. So there's one cashier or sales assistant and you know they sort of do your transaction and then normally right before it would be like they'd have to sort of complete the transaction they have to wait for you to pay thank you you know give you things you know just you know that would be like one kind of ritual but I've realized Mm -hmm. so this happened twice to me that even though we're still sort of you know they kind of ring it up and then we pay for it but they're already like calling the next person over and they hop over to the to the kind of cashier next to next to us mm. so they're operating two so they're basically trying wrangling two sets of people you know there's so there's mm. like no so you're not supposed to wait anymore i think to just deal with one person you know like yeah. one group you have to like manage them concurrently it's like having several tabs open but like in real irl yeah yeah, I think it's really a thing. It's like a new. I think it's like a new procedure that you know they're implementing, and it's it makes things really hectic, and you're very confused. You're like, "What am I done? Like, why is this person walking away?" And and then you realize that mm. they're kind of like looking. You know, it's just it's just it's mm. such a strange. And I think again, like you know, criticizing cop- capitalism is is really fun, but like at the same time, you know, bartering and this kind of exchange of goods is really foundational. I think to like human relations, and mm-hmm. I think established over a long period of time, like the salesman, what the salesman does and says, what yeah. the purchaser, the customer does and says. So like the dynamic is like completely disoriented. It was very odd for everyone. We we're all very confused. How can you change it? In the moment, can you like engage them in a weird conversation? No, because he was some nervous. Because he, I think they have to do metrics. You know, it's not like you have to. You mm. can't. You can't stop them. You know. So you just feel like you're all. We're all probably a, you know part of algorithm, and probably they're watched. Um, wow. Maybe you know they're probably recording their <laughs> their actions, and then they review them at random. Um, you know, and if right. they see that they've like took too long to someone, they probably are. You mm. know, going to get chastised. It's just sort of. 
Yeah, that reminds me of when I'm in stores. Uh, sometimes, I don't know why I do this, but it's like in the last seven years or so, like I just pretend to be, I'll pretend to be a mystery shopper. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> in my head, because sometimes people treat me like that. Like I just have this way, I'm this kind of person that certain people, like maybe it's like what I wear because I'm just like a teacher. So I have this like kind of formal stuff on, but I seem very, I just look like, I look like a mystery shopper. I don't know why. It's just my vibe. Cool. Um, maybe it's what I'll be for Halloween. Yeah. And then people, and people ask me for directions on the street constantly. I'm like the person who knows the way on the street and the mystery shopper, which I think both of these things sound okay. That's not all nice hats. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's like a person of substance in some way. So like, I don't always, a knowledgeable, a knowledgeable human. Yes. Right. You hold some answers. Yeah. And sometimes like, I kind of feel like they think I'm one and then they're really extra nice to me. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. It's okay. Like I've had that kind of interaction. It might just be like a psychosis on my part. Like I'm not sure, Hmm. but, um, maybe in those cases you could like, because I can't imagine they wouldn't want you to have good customer service you know so like you know what like what is this i feel like the aim is to have both the speed of interaction and and also yeah. good customer service if that's possible at all yeah i know it's weird i don't know i don't i'm wondering what my fake mystery shopper persona would do in that situation mm. be like good day like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> try to like bust the system bust into the algorithm with like i don't know an, a stately, a stately performance of customerhood. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what the answer. I mean, I think everyone is just out of uh, after profit, and of course, you know, rumor has it that these kind of jobs will will be going first. You know, they will be automated. Right. You just sort of slide in your package and pay right. instead of a human. So now they're sort of trying to make them more robotic, but right. basically. So right. Well, and that goes back to the like the 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 brick and mortar not being. A sustainable system, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Forever Twenty One is is going out of business. So like, it's sort of maybe it's like that. It's like they know that online businesses and stuff are yeah. are much more successful. So they're trying to like over. Right, successful but more isolating. Like all these things. Basically, everything it yeah. seems that it you know has efficiency attached to it. It's also by default. I think almost everything is sort of more isolating and more dehumanizing. There has to be a backlash against it. I mean, I feel backlash. So strongly. Well, yes, let's all become Luddites. I mean, there, but but even within capitalism, there has to be a thing where people are like, come on. I know, like you would think even with drones, you know, why why there's so much money being spent on military and, you know, development of these drones, you know, so essentially like harming people versus investing that technology into, you know, like really free and like high tech healthcare, you know, that would like diagnose yeah. at a glance or something. You know, it's just that yeah. it just seems the impetus is always not right it's incorrect yeah people need to listen to our podcast more understand how things should be (laughs) because we know the plan uh, we understand how policy should be written um Uh, yes organizing system still being developed but on its way yeah i mean obviously you know politicians and policy writers and activists are going to listen to the podcast and get really jazzed by the intentional pyramid language (laughs) And then they're going to see policy writing from us. I mean, I, oh, yeah. right? That's how that's how the government works. <laughs> and would you? Well, I mean, I just like like to point out that I was once part of a government, and yes, it is exactly how it works. It basically works in a pyramid. You have to oh really mm-hmm, arrange oh. yourself into a pyramid. 
And then mm-hmm. basically the person at the bottom, it's kind of like the broken telephone thing over and over again. I guess that's where I got it. You know, you sort of whisper things upwards and downwards. Right. And then the thing that you end up with, the word that you end up with in the end, that becomes the law. Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah, that sounds like, like a, really, absurd. a really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, that land. I want to live there. It's all That's about okay. the games, the physical games. Actually, I think it would really be fun to play some um, some games soon. Yeah. I wonder what games they play in Athens. Where I'll be going. Oh, where are you going? I think they probably just go and hang out in the bathhouse. Mm-hmm. Do they play games in the bathhouse? Well, they play lots of games <laughs> in the bathhouse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was thrilling. Apparently the games are very short. They the are? House. Oh, no. Yeah. Wait, yeah, I, the I don't know what you mean. Well, our listeners do. <laughs> <laughs> they involve towels and I just interactions want to look up eyebrows. Uh-huh. Okay, let's see here. I wish. I wish. I would like to go. I would like to go back to ancient Greece and hang out the in bathhouse. the bathhouse. I just want to read out some. Okay. Bathhouse of the Winds. The house is what it says. It's cheap to visit and you can appreciate a bit of social history. The building is in a good condition. That's cool. Oh, the Bathhouse of the Winds has perhaps the most poetical sounding name for a museum in the world. Oh, mm. so it's not a bathhouse. No, mm. it's a historical bathhouse. Mm. Yeah, because mm. yeah, like can the bathhouse on? that was originated in Greece, in ancient Greece. I'm very ready to go to... Um, to a bath. Yeah, well, let me know if they still do it because it was huge. I mean, it was it was co-ed, I believe, and like it was everyone went. Mm. I, I know this about ancient Greece because I watched uh, YouTube. But um, <laughs> they would everybody would go at like one p.m. and have a bathe, mm. and then that's where a lot of the like, political, like underhanded but also kind of weird political mm. activities would go on because people would have like civic conversations, like nude in these wonderful bathhouses. You know, and probably mm. get up to some fun other business too. But like, it was just very normal, kind of like with the Korean bathhouse, where it was, you know, it was just sort of like what everybody in the community did at one point of the day, and it was like everybody would hang out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that you know we have them in in Eastern Europe. It's a big tradition as well. So it's right, not, you know, should, it's, not yeah. big, it's not unknown. I was just joking <laughs> because I couldn't think of any Greek games. Why couldn't they? Yeah. Get, that's where the Olympics were invented. What is yeah, wrong with me today? Disc throwing. I'll engage in some disc <laughs> throwing. I would love to see you do that. Well, I might murder yeah. someone. It'll be like a drone, <laughs> a human drone. <laughs> My disc. Drone throwing. It's like I'll come to Athens and everyone else will leave. Of my disc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be a threat. Always I a think threat. I'd be down with you, your presence, actually. Let's hope so. I'm brown-haired, so maybe I'll, like, blend in. I've met various Greek women, and they seem they seem to be your brethren. Cool. I could see you enjoying their company, sure. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'll be reporting. <laughs> you have, yeah, I'm excited. Do you have access to uh, a view of water? That's important to me. No matter where I go, I'm not really sure. I'll, I don't know what it's what the apartment is like, so I haven't really mm. looked at it. But yeah, I'll, I guess I'll do a search. My friend tells me that probably I'll be seeing some Parthenon <laughs> out of your window. Yeah, apparently, like if you're sort of lost, you just look up, and if you see a Parthenon, you sort of figure out where you are. Oh, not sure. Again, to be decided. Anyway, all speculation for now. Not sure. Yeah. Well, I will tell you. Maybe I'll talk more about it when you um, when you're there, but. Um, 
when I was like really young, my brother uh, told me to read this book, The Magus by John Fowles. Mm -hmm. And it was like softcore porn and it was really disturbing. (laughs) But I mean, I wasn't really young. I was like 13 and like precocious. So everybody treated me like I was older Mm -hmm. and it blew my mind. Yeah, it was a made up island and it was a land of like occult. It was basically like eyes wide shut. That was Mm kind of what the book was like. And um, I wandered into reading it thinking it was going to be like really cute and pretty. And I fell asleep during that movie, so I'm not sure what happens. It's gross. Okay, it's it's about good thing I fell asleep. (laughs) There's a lot of masks and like uh, conspiracy. It's a lot like the Epstein thing, except with like masks and it takes it. And Tom Cruise, like great. (gasps) He is the follower of Ronald Hubbard, who defrauded Jack Uh, Parsons, who started JBL, who was married to Marjorie Cameron, who was the witch who appeared in Babylon. (laughs) Kenneth Anger's Babylon. Okay. That was just a summary. Excellent. Intentional pyramid. Very good. Yeah. We've done it. We've done it. We've, we've turned ourselves inside out. Well, on this occult note, shall we um, <laughs> make ourselves scarce? Yes. We shall Do you want to just, like, dissipate? Yeah. Let's dissipate. Okay. All right. I think we're going to switch our, um, our release day to Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> 